0: That sounds like a fun passage to talk about. Uh, the wrath of God and sexual immorality and anger and slander. Um, that's a lot of fun. Here we go. So, uh, tonight, what we're actually going to talk about, uh, we're going to talk about those things. Uh, sort of, I guess, maybe. Um, but we are going to talk about transformation. Uh, because this uh, part of what is happening here is is—is uh, there's a two-part thing. Um, I drew the first part, which means uh, the, the putting to death these things, and Jason uh, next week is going to be talking about clothing yourself in all of the good things. So we get the, the bad on this side and the good on that side, but we're talking about transformation. We're talking about moving from an old self to a new self. Now, if we're talking transformation, the most obvious, I don't know, like representation of this in my mind is is something like a caterpillar, right? Mm. And a caterpillar, look, this is uh, like a dive into, I don't know, maybe my psyche and, and how I work. Um, Jason would use Enneagram language to talk about this, but so, I, you know, I started Googling stuff about caterpillars uh, and got like way too in-depth about caterpillars. Uh, caterpillars... Well, uh, and butterflies, because they're not, they're, they're the same, uh, but we'll talk about this in a second. So, okay, caterpillars. Uh, caterpillars are, uh, you know, little worm-like things that crawl, and then at some point when they get fat enough, it, it literally just has to do with their weight, uh, when they weigh a certain amount, um, they turn into a chrysalis, um, not a cocoon. A cocoon is moths. Um, I learned this too. Uh, All butterflies, chrysalis, cocoons, moths. Um, And a chrysalis is something different. Um, It's like this hard shell uh, and like the caterpillar is inside. Uh, And then when the caterpillar comes out, it's a butterfly. So the question, and and so this represents transformation. It has for centuries uh, and for a long time, like uh, in the medieval world when people would, uh, probably earlier than that, uh, as far as I know, the medieval world, uh, whenever people would uh, look inside, uh, they would think the caterpillar was dead, and then it was resurrected into a butterfly. And so there was all this theology wrapped into this. Uh, but science actually tells us something different. Um, I want to I want to do something. I want you, because this is mind-blowing to me, I want you to tell the person next to you uh, what you think happens to the caterpillar inside the chrysalis before they become the butterfly, like what's going on inside the chrysalis. Okay. Ready? Go talk. Talk to your neighbor. (laughs) Okay. Bring it back. Uh, Somebody yell out some of the answers that you guys came up with Hibernation. hibernation. That makes sense. It liquefies. Okay. Other thoughts? What happens? No, no one thinks it just grows wings inside there? Yeah, okay. There you go. grows wings. Um, okay. Uh, it doesn't molt. It melts. It literally, it liquefies. So someone got it right. Okay, so the caterpillar actually turns into the chrysalis. The chrysalis isn't a thing that um, it wraps itself into like we think of. It actually turns into the chrysalis. And if you cut it, open uh what inside i'm losing let's do this can we just do it on the mic do it here let's do that sorry okay um so is this better i was getting like a ringing as well so and then it was cutting out okay so what happens is that uh it does liquefy it it melts. And the the caterpillar actually turns into the chrysalis, like the hard outer shell is actually the caterpillar. Um, and then it like pupates in this hard little shell and it transforms into a, a butterfly. Um, so transformation happens in these stages. Okay. We're going to talk a little bit about some of those stages. As we talk about this passage and we talk about transformation, uh, maybe you can locate yourself somewhere in this stage. Maybe you're the caterpillar, the like light Caterpillar. Maybe you're the fat caterpillar about to liquefy. Maybe you're in this liquefied stage where you you don't really know what's happening, but you're being transformed. uh, And maybe you're a butterfly. So uh, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, all of these things. Uh, And so I want you to keep this in your mind because we're actually going to come back to it because that's not the only. Uh, Caterpillar fact that I have for you tonight So we're going to come back Uh, Okay. So as we talk about transformation I want to talk about two things Um, Where you're coming from and where you're going So what are you transforming from And what are you transforming to Uh, this passage gives us a ton of things. Um, It it has two lists. Um, One, it hinges on sexual sin, the other on anger. Uh, And and we're not actually going to talk about, most likely, each one of those little things. What I'd rather do is is look at those two lists and say, what what is a common element in these two lists that maybe we can all identify with? Uh, It just gets a little burdensome if if we kind of go down the line and shame everybody about all these things that they feel. Um, but it begins, okay? So the passage begins with, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. This is a, uh, a reference to actually write what comes before it, which uh, Kirsten preached on last week. Um, we have therefore in there, uh, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Um, Kirsten's passage, the, the beginning of chapter 3, says, uh, Set your minds... On the things that are above, not on things that are on earth, not on the earthly things. Put those things to death as you set your minds on the things above. Um, so these go hand in hand. As you're setting your mind on things above, you're putting to death the things that are earthly. This is painful work. This is not easy work. Uh, it is difficult. And lots of times there are tears and emotions wrapped in, uh, in all of these. So uh, we're going we're gonna to talk about these. Um, the, the putting to death the earthly things. We have the sexual sins and we have the anger. I actually think Paul is just using those two lists to kind of encompass a lot of what our earthly desires, how our earthly desires might take shape. Uh, and the common element that I think is embedded in there is idolatry. Uh, idolatry is like a weird Christian word that we really don't talk about outside. I don't hear it talked about a lot outside of this. So I, I want to spend a little time uh, picking apart what actually idolatry is, what I mean by it, and what I think is going on here. Um, the best way to think about idolatry is uh, that you find your your identity, your self-worth, your, your value in this thing. Um, in, in anything other than God. Um, so that's that um, yeah, that's at its, at its basic uh, idea. So whatever is at the center of your life uh, that you derive some sort of um, meaning and worth from that is not God. Uh, and, and actually, uh, let, let, me, let me rephrase this. It's not just those things that we derive meaning from that are not God. It's the things that we actually put in place of God. So all of these things, uh, tons of things, can uh, create meaning in your life. Um, Relationship, a romantic relationship, a friendship, um, your work that you're striving for, your academic work, all of those things can be good gifts that help shape you and grow you. Uh, When it becomes idolatry is actually when those things become the ultimate thing and that you associate your entire self-worth in that thing. And if you don't have it, then you'll you'll start to lash out in ways uh, that you didn't realize uh, because that thing is the most important thing for you. Uh, Saint Augustine says that uh, the essence of sin is love disordered or disordered loves. Uh, And I think actually that's a really helpful way to think about this, that there's an order Like a prioritization that we have of things that give us meaning, things that we love. Uh, And when we get those out of whack, that's where idolatry starts to play. So how does idolatry fit into these things? Uh, For one, I think actually idolatry, like the the biggest idol, I think. I mean, I don't have any stats that tell me this is the biggest idol. This is literally just me thinking that this is probably the biggest idol, at least in our culture, um, is selfishness. Um, I don't know if you ever feel selfish, Um, and and maybe it's weird to even think of selfishness as an idol. Uh, The way that I want to think about and talk about selfishness tonight is self-centeredness. So if we think about our life as a circle, um, we want Christ to be the center of our lives. We want to be focused on Christ and have him as the center. If anything else is at the center, that's idolatry. Uh, And so when we talk about self-centeredness, it's really easy to kind of picture that we're putting ourselves in the center of our lives. And that sounds like a natural thing. It's our life. We're going to put ourself at the center. Um, But the problem is that uh, we, well, we aren't God uh, and we don't deliver on the things that we actually even promise ourselves. Um, Our flesh betrays us. Um, Romans 1 is actually a pretty decent uh, place to think about this. So uh, in Romans 1, uh, this is Paul again, and he's talking about the unrighteous, uh, the unrighteous like as a people. Uh, all of us fit into that category at some point and still in our unrighteousness kind of fall prey to this. He says that because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Um, That they receive the wrath of God, uh, the unrighteousness, uh, their unrighteousness, in their unrighteousness, they worship and serve the creation rather than the creator. Uh, For us, as created in God's image, when we serve and worship ourselves, when we put ourselves above others, when we put ourselves above Christ, uh, that's what we're doing. We're worshiping the created rather than the creator. So the way that this plays out in these two lists We've got a handful of things like sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which he actually uses idolatry as covetousness, this wanting of something that we don't have. Uh, that plays into this in a second. Um, and then we have anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. So as it relates to sexual immorality um, and like sexual sins, uh, I, I want to mostly talk about it in relationship in relationships, in friendships, actually, um, and in romantic relationships. Um, The best way to think about, like, disordered love in these kind of relationships, um, maybe you've experienced this yourself, or you probably definitely know someone uh, who has experienced this. If you're in a relationship, a romantic relationship with someone, uh, and that person tells you they love you, they swoon over you. They treat you well. And you're like, yes, this is what it's like to be wanted, to be loved, um, to belong to someone. And then in a few months, you find out, oh, they never really loved me. They were talking to this other person the whole time. Uh, there's, a, there's a sense in which you feel betrayed. Uh, there's a sense in which you feel uh, hurt naturally. Uh, and you feel used. And so in in that situation, uh, you are the victim of someone's selfishness, of someone's self-centeredness. They have done something to you um, out of their own selfish desire, maybe to fill, uh, I don't know, to fill... Good about themselves, uh, that someone loves them, uh, and they're taking advantage of that love. Maybe you're the person that's taken advantage of someone else. Uh, but that plays out in this sort of disordered love. Relationships can actually be really good and really fruitful uh, and can help you grow. Uh, but all of a sudden, when your selfishness gets in the way of that relationship, uh, it becomes an issue. Uh, people get hurt. Feelings get hurt, um, and so that that's kind of a, a an easier way to maybe think about um, self sitterness as it relates to this. You're not looking at that other person, or they're not looking at you um, as an image bearer of God, as a, as a human uh, with dignity and honor, uh, and that's what we want to strive for in this. So, uh, and actually, I think Jason will hit some of that next week. Um, and then as it relates to anger, and uh, this is probably more where I all, uh, I think that we all have uh, idols in our lives that we're working to uproot. And once we uproot one, uh, we figure out another one is over here calling us and attracting us to it. Um, There's something that's difficult about uh, this old self. Uh, There's a comfort in this old self that uh, we're drawn to who we were um, in appeasing those I don't know, fleshly desires that uh, sometimes good desires. We're just looking in the wrong places for them. Uh, And that's at its root sort of idolatry. So for me, with anger and wrath, I'm probably not too wrathful, uh, but malice, slander, obscene talk. For me, it looks like uh, my intellect, probably. Uh, So I like to think that I'm smart. um, And the problem is that can become an idol for me. Uh, when someone—I don't mind being wrong so much, but when someone makes me feel dumb for being wrong or, or treats me like I'm not capable of understanding something or talks to me like I'm a child, those things really start to grate on me. Um, and instead of responding in kindness uh, or grace— uh, I probably get angry. Um, and obscene talk probably doesn't come out of my mouth, Probably uh, maybe like under my breath, um, or like in my head. Uh, that's where I'm going. Like, I will kind of go down this path of like, being upset with this person of saying things in my head about how they're really not that smart. Oh, you think you you're smart, and you're, looking down on me, judgmental. And so I, I kind of like loop through this thing and really it's it's rooted in my own insecurity. Um, it's rooted in my own grasp for um, meaning and for worth and for value. Um, and I place it somewhere that it's not supposed to be. So that's where we're coming from. Uh, the beautiful thing about all of this um, is that God is inviting us uh, to participate in our own transformation. So if, if we're talking about this movement forward from who we were to who he's calling us to be, um, he's he's actually uh, calling us to participate in that. And I know it's weird because like some people probably hear this this put off thing and, and you get this like works based mentality like it's not, you know, didn't God take care of all of that uh, on the cross? And 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 this is true that that God uh, that that Jesus does take care of this on the cross. Um, he creates for us a new reality about who we are, which is that He can be at the center and He can take that burden, uh, and then He invites us into a lifetime of making that a reality. Um, so. so this is the process that he's actually inviting us into. It's only made possible by him. Um, so it's not something that we're doing without him or alone. Uh, it's made possible by him. So the only way that we can put him as, at the center is if we know who he is. Uh, so, so there is a sense in which um, he's doing this alongside us by His Spirit, by the power of His Spirit who's convicting us and helping us see uh, where we are uh, angry, where we get annoyed easily, um, where our desires for loneliness um, or for love lead us into unhealthy relationships or lead us into um, sexual immorality and impurity. Um, It puts us in those places where at the root it's it's idolatry, uh, which is much harder to see. Um, It's easy to see the anger. It's harder to see what's right below the surface and what's causing that anger and where that anger is stemming from. Why does every time this person says this kind of thing, why does it upset me? Um, That's a much harder question to ask and locate. It's much easier to just be like, I don't like that person. That person drives me crazy. Um, Why? What in you? Uh, What in you causes that reaction? Uh, Not what in them causes that reaction. What in you causes that reaction? That's a much, much, much harder question to ask, and it's a much harder question to actually work towards. So what is he calling us to? We're going to get to the second part of this passage. Um, He's calling us to relationships uh, and to healthy relationships. So it says in, we'll we'll actually start, I think, um, let's start in... Uh, Verse 9. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. So, where are we going? He's calling us to a relationship. He's calling us to a relationship with him and with others. Uh, it's it's easy to forget sometimes that these letters are written to communities. Uh, we talk about transformation. Um, I just talked about transformation as sort of this personal growth that you have in your own spiritual relationship. But all of this is meted out in community. Um, it, it doesn't happen outside of community. Um, you don't have anger uh, unless there's some element of community. Maybe you're missing community and you're angry because of that, or people in the community are upsetting you. It's the same with uh, with sexual desires or impure desires. It's hard to have those on your own. Um, it's the lack of that belonging, or it's a temptation to belong. Um, each of those are meted out in community. All of these things are, and he's calling us to that, and he's calling us to uproot those idols, uh, that self-centeredness in our lives, to put him there. Because when he's there, it changes how we interact with people around us. So if you and your transformation become more Christ-like, that glorifies God. Um, If you and your best friend are both uh, becoming more Christ-like, well, that glorifies God twofold. Um, So now think about an an entire community transformed by uprooting that self-centeredness and god's glory is magnified as many times as there are people uh, who are doing that Uh, those communities in harmony uh, in christ together lacking division lacking anger lacking this gossip or lying towards one another and malice those communities reflect god to one another and to the world around us um, so if you, if you want to understand um, part of God's um, vision for the church, it's that he's glorified in these pockets of community together because these communities are living in such a way that separates them from the world around them, that's colored by selfishness, and that's colored by self-centeredness. I said earlier that I think it's the biggest idol in our lives, and it's a hard thing to prove. Um, But there's a ton of statistics that talk about um, affluence uh, and not just personal affluence, affluence as a culture or as a as a country creating a culture of individualism. Um, We live in a very affluent country uh, and that creates this individualism. We, we know what sort of this American identity of individualism is, and it pushes us away from community and to focus on ourselves. We also know, tons of statistics bear this out, um, that social media creates narcissism, and it feeds into narcissism. Uh, I would be shocked if anyone actually doesn't have any form of social media here tonight. Um, and it's not that those things are inherently bad. They can be used for good. Um, but uh, it bears out in selfishness and in self-centeredness far too often. Uh, and so to, to, to think like that this is a problem with our culture, I, I mean, I think it is. So God is calling us to a relationship that looks different from the culture around us. And then lastly, he's calling us to a relationship with himself. How does this work and how, do this, how does this look like? Uh, I, I, I mentioned it earlier that we can't actually put him at the center uh, unless we know who we're putting at the center. Um, we can't just put this idea of Christ at the center because it's empty. Um, this idea of who he is that we think we know uh, may not be accurate to who he is. So we, we actually have to know him and he beckons us to do that. And the beautiful thing is that we get to know him best in community, um, through his scripture, through, through doing things like this, honestly, reading scripture together, talking about scripture together, praising God together, praying together, these are all function in a way to bring us closer together um, to better know who God is. I mentioned that I had another uh, caterpillar um, fact for you. So i so I, uh, I I want to, this actually, I think was one of the most mind blowing things, not the like liquefaction uh, of the caterpillar in the chrysalis, which is also, cause I mean, think about like all of their organs, everything like liquefies into this goop and then comes out like as a digestive system and as a nervous system again, like it does it all in there, which is Bonkers, and scientists have no idea how this happens, just so you know, because they can't watch it happen. Uh, if they slice it open, then all the goop comes out and it doesn't transform, so they they don't know how it happens. Uh, it just turns into goop, this soup, this this caterpillar soup, and it turns into a butterfly. Okay, so here is the, the last piece. Um, a caterpillar right before they turn into the chrysalis um, Take my word for it. Don't go do this. Um, I took someone's word for us because I didn't want to do this. If you cut open a caterpillar, which would kill him uh, or her, uh, it has wings uh, under the skin. Like it already has uh, the makings of butterfly wings under the skin of the caterpillar, um, which is bonkers. I had no idea that that was the case. Like inside there, and actually when it liquefies and turns to uh Turns to goop. Uh, the wings are stuck to the outside. They're inside, but they're stuck to like the inside of the outside, the shell. Um, and they don't actually turn to goop. Um, somehow, it like I don't know, solidifies back up in the right spot, and the wings are in the right spot. Um, all of this is mind-boggling. So, where I want this to go for us is that is this passage or this this phrase um, in this passage that, uh, for me, I think made. I don't know, made this whole thing click and and made it not just seem like, I don't know, we're beaten down by the culture around us that there's no way out. Because my natural question is, gosh, if I have all of these idols, um, John, uh, John Calvin says that uh, the human heart is an idol factory. And I think, gosh, if I'm just an idol factory, how in the world do I get out of this? Uh, how in the world do I, I don't know, yeah, get out of it. Um, for one, it's, it's, it's with the help of God. But two, it's in this, it's in this phrase uh, that just kind of gives me hope. He says, uh, do not lie. This is the passage that I read earlier, but I'm going to talk more about the second half. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. It's being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Uh, This piece actually gave me a ton of hope. Uh, Renewal um, is not a starting over from anything. Uh, Renewal is um, a recapturing of what already existed. Um, Something that has become old, Uh, your old self. Uh, and, And it's a renewal of the self. It's not just a, a new I mean, it is a new self, but it's also this renewal for God's original vision for humanity, uh, which is that you're made in his image. This is like the old, old self um, that you're recapturing, uh, that the image of God in us is marred by sin in some way, uh, and that there is a renewal happening in you in this transformation uh, to recapture the image of God uh, in you, so so when I think about well, how does this work? Who? Uh, I, this is for everyone, I guess, is what I want to say. Um, everyone who is made in the image of God, and who bears that image, which is everyone, uh, is possible to be transformed. Uh, like each person. Because like by virtue of being created in his image, Uh, you bear this and he is working to renew it in you. And he is inviting you to participate in your own renewal, in your own transformation, uh, by putting off this old self, this earthly self uh, that creates these reactions and this reactionary lifestyle to all this stimuli um, that bears itself out in sin. Um, And he's calling you to a new type of life. Uh, a new type of life that many of us have never experienced. I it, it's actually really hard for me to fathom what a community would look like um, that is not marked by some sort of division. Uh, I, I, I can't... I, I, yeah, I, I actually don't know what that looks like. Um, it looks perfect, and I haven't seen it. But that's exactly what he says. Um, Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all, and in all. Christ is all and in all. Um, He's the unifier. Uh, Whatever divisions you think exist, whatever response you have um, in anger um, or in lust, uh, Christ is in you, Um, and he is renewing you, uh, and his spirit is there uh, to mourn this process uh, because it's painful um, as you do that. So tonight, uh, we're going to do something a little different. Um, tonight, we're going to spend a little time in silence and in reflection. So um, I think what we, what we want from this time, actually, uh, we're going to spend one or two minutes. And I'm going to open this up in prayer. And then I want everyone to actually just sit in silence or pray in silence. I want you to think or pray for God to reveal um, where your idols might be because they're really hard to see. Um, It's, it's hard to not, it's hard to work on your anger if you don't know what your anger is stemming from. Does that make sense? Um, Like you can't just stop the reaction when you don't know um, what's causing it. So, so we want to spend some time in silence, um, praying that God will reveal those things to you. If you know immediately the thing, um, then then pray, like confess to God uh, that you want to displace that from the hold that it has the disordered love you want to knock it down a peg um, to where it rightly goes Um, that's honoring uh, to yourself and to others uh, and it's very freeing actually Um, none of those things were meant to hold the weight in the center um, and Christ was and so, uh, it's a very freeing thing for you to do this, um, to think about this, to confess this and for God, to ask God for, um, to reveal uh, these things to you. So, um, I'm going to pray and then I'm going to bring us out of, uh, out of prayer as well or out of the time of silence, um, with a, with a prayer also. So, uh, so pray with me. Heavenly Father, I pray that tonight, uh, each of us here, uh, can get a better understanding, um, of what drives our earthly desires, of where our unrighteousness lies, um, and that we can commit to displacing it with your help, Um, that we confess that we have not been great at that, uh, and that we look to you to do it. Um, So let us us pray to ourselves uh, to reveal those things. From us, Thank you, Father, that you have uh, removed your transgressions from us, that, uh, that you're patient with us, um, that you join us and invite us to participate in this transformation, God, um, that you're working alongside us, transforming us um, and challenge us to grow uh, with one another to reflect your glory uh, to all creation, God. I pray that we focus our eyes on the creator rather than the created uh, this week and every week.